Welcome to the New York Primary Review, where we cover the latest developments in high-yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy, and feature discussions on issues affecting distressed debt, leverage finance, direct lending, high-yield bonds, high municipals, covenants, private credit, and middle market companies. I'm David Zupkis. This week, Alfonso Ugarte, an expert in M&A's bankruptcy and structured and distressed financing for Quattro Casas, and Sebastian Layton, head of the energy practice at Quattro Casas and formerly head of the legal division of the Chilean Energy Enforcement Agency, joined Reorg's Maria Abreu to discuss the financial troubles plaguing the Chilean renewable energy industry, provide context on why some renewable energy producers receive zero payment for their electricity production, and shed light on the government's approach to reform, regulatory changes, and the potential impact on investor confidence. And as always, we bring you our weekly summary of interesting developments in the restructuring world, as well as a preview of what's on tap for next week. We'd love to hear your feedback to help us improve the podcast experience, so please take a moment to complete the short survey at the link attached to this podcast and let us know how we're doing. It's Monday, October 16th. Welcome back to another episode of the Reorg Primary View podcast. I'm Maria Breu, a reporter in the Latin Distressed Debt team, and I'm pleased to have Alfonso Ugarte and Sebastián Leighton as our guests. Alfonso is an expert at the forefront of M&As, bankruptcy, and structure and distressed financing, advising investors and entrepreneurs on a global scale for Cuatro Casas, a leading law firm that operates in more than 13 countries. Alfonso's expertise spans multiple sectors, including banking, mining, retail, technology, and renewable energy. Sebastián is head of the energy practice in the Santiago office of Cuatro Casas and has been head of the legal division of the Chilean Energy Enforcement Agency. So we have a great mix of restructuring and regulatory knowledge for our discussion. Before we dive into our conversation, let's take a closer look at the topic for today. In Chile, the government is grappling with a wave of bankruptcies in the renewable energy sector. What initially seemed like a promising investment opportunity has taken an unexpected turn, raising concerns about the financial sustainability of renewable energy companies. So Sebastian, could you please give our listeners an overview of the issues plaguing this industry? Specifically, why do some renewable energy producers receive zero payment for their electricity production? Uh, well, first, thank for having us, Maria. Uh, regarding your question, uh, when we look at the issues that are currently affecting the Chilean energy market, uh, we should try to avoid looking into or blaming, uh, putting all the blame in transmission. That has been the easiest path for certain parties that saying that there has been delays in how transmission infrastructure has been built or reached uh, COD, and that has uh, affected projects in their ability to inject power to the grid. Uh, but it's it's not a new issue in countries that have a lot of renewable capacity that transmission tend to, tends to take a little bit more time and obviously affect the injection. Um, but also you need to take into account that we're developing a significant amount of renewable energy projects in areas not close to demand. Most of our, our good solar capacity or uh, it's located in the north and most of our demand is located between the center south of the country. Um, but also if we now start to look besides our transmission, 
we need to take into base that the Chilean market op operates over a marginal cost dispatch system in which the latest or the last power plant that gets dispatched sets uh, the price for all uh, generation uh, assets operating at the time. So what we're seeing is that in certain nodes of our system, marginal costs uh, are reaching zero in hours where actually there's no transmission constraints due to excess renewable generation. Uh, this might sound crazy, but the fact that um, in certain hours of solar blocks, generation is surpassing total demand, and hence from a technical point of view or just security of the grid, curtailment is needed. But just putting this into figures, our peak demand in Chile as a country as a whole is 11.5 gigawatt hours uh, or gigawatts, and we have an installed capacity over 34 gigawatts with 15 of those 34 coming from variable renewable generation. This is solar, wind, and runoff river. And our Chilean ISO, our grid operator, has projected that during this second semester of 2023, there will be times or during solar hours, generation will actually exceed demand. So going back to the easy pointing uh, transmission, it's not only transmission and includes other factors. Obviously, this is also based on uh, slow demand of power and, and, and growth of demand of power, that it's tied towards lower economic growth. Uh, obviously, overestimation in power demand in, in recent tenders, and obviously planning issues regarding renewable projects and transmission facilities. So you add this to, to the issue that, that I previously mentioned that there are different nodes in the north and center of the country. Uh, where most of the, or center and south, where most of the demand is uh, located, but generation is not at those nodes. Um, so we had this issue until this winter, we had a normal rain year, finally, last 10 years we had a drought. And now we're seeing in the south, a lot of run of the river or hydro dams operating, and that has finally reduced the cost of power or marginal cost in the center south of the grid. Um, but if you add to all of this mix that given the war in Ukraine, we have higher commodity prices and obviously higher fossil fuel prices, marginal costs in certain nodes and hours, mostly night hours, uh, are going high. And obviously that now once again creates an imbalance between the different prices in between injection and withdrawal nodes. Um, so going back, obviously, um, the difference between injection, the prices at injection and withdrawal prices at uh, withdrawal nodes, if you have a PBA, have, uh, that difference has increased and certain, let's call generators, are losing power or sorry, losing money just on serving their PBAs. Um, so this is where we're having this, as people are mentioning, a price decoupling between different nodes. nodes. And obviously a certain generator, if it's paying more money to the grid to buy power, let's say close to Santiago, than the money that they're getting, injecting their their the power in the north of Chile, obviously they will never be able to cover the differences or that, that spread in the spot market and they will have a negative balance. So it's a complex issue that has several reasons, but uh, I would say that's an, a broad manner into explaining how we, we reach this point. So given these issues that, that Sebastian just explained, Alfonso, 
what has been the total loss in U.S. dollars for these companies this year? And how many firms have filed for bankruptcy or become insolvent? So rather than specific amounts of losses, I think the most important uh, number to take into consideration is that we have over five uh, billion in uh, in uh, revenues under stress and with problems of uh, cash flow in investment. Sorry, uh, sponsors have taken different approaches to the issue because the main consideration they are having is how to use uh, different legal tools to maximize the operational value of their portfolio. So, for example, we have sponsors that have gone through outright liquidation of their assets, like Maria Elena Solar. Uh, they have found that in that case, the liquidation has allowed them to get rid of some PPAs and maximize the value of the portfolio uh, to do asset sales and maximize recovery for creditors. We have other sponsors like uh, Mainstream, uh, who has recently approved a very complex uh, restructuring in Chile, local restructuring, uh, with uh, several tranches and layers of creditors. Uh, and they have also looked at specific operational strategies to maximize value of their portfolios, like getting rid of uh, assets uh, of PPAs with a force majeure. And you have uh, other sponsors like Iber Eolica and Clean and Capital Energy that are looking at the issue. They have not taken any decisive action yet, but they are uh, losing money every month and they are very vocal about their financial situation. That's helpful context. So, um, Sebastian, we, we've seen the government's response through an upcoming bill. While it aims to address long-term sustainability and carbon neutrality, neutrality goals, it does appear to lack immediate relief for trouble renewable energy firms. How do you see this approach affecting investor confidence in the short term? So rather than, than thinking or looking at a concrete bill at this, at this moment, uh, our authorities have acknowledged that there are issues in the market and that reform is needed at, at a legal level. And our, let's say our, given this marginal cost system, our, the Chilean ISO has launched an international tender process to conduct a study to design a new tariff setting model uh, for the utility or spot market in Chile. Um, that analysis should be concluded by the end of the year. And we'll try to move if we're looking, moving from a marginal cost system to a day ahead or tender mechanisms similar that they're in other parts of the world. Um, obviously, uh, our view is that any reform um, or material reform will take some time before it will come become law. So, Given the how the market is operating, this is a zero-sum game between either renewable generator, generators, conventional rent generators, but at the end of the day, also consumers, because they, we are the consumers such as us, we're the ones that pay the bill. So any benefits that renewable generation generators will get uh, will need to be paid either by conventional generators or consumers. Uh, so obviously, any reform will be complex and subject to significant negotiations between the different stakeholders. Uh, so if we look at the bill itself that has been submitted, there's no uh, specific 
dollar measures or relief considered directly. However, the bill intends to amend certain matters regarding transmission development, uh, re regarding uh, urgent required infrastructure, amendment by the mechanism by which uh, current transmission expansions are tender, and also a tender of two gigawatts of installed capacity of storage uh, uh, systems. It, it, this is not to be located in a single substation, but rather as a system in different uh, portions of the grid. The idea is to reduce decoupling. Um, however, um, as uh, I previously mentioned, there's no monetary relief within the bill, given the context that the Chilean generation market is the most unregulated segment of the Chilean energy sector. So uh, given that freedom of market, uh, there's this view uh, that there should not be any dollar amount relief to the renewable market. As least as we can see in the in the bill, as if as it stands as of today. And what short term measures could the government implement to ensure the financial sustainability of these companies? So, we we have seen the government allowing certain measures that have provided some degree of relief to certain sponsors. At first, allowing certain force majeure terminations to. PPA agreements with projects that had faced some construction delays and difficulties. Uh, obviously, this will allow the projects to off once they finally reach uh, COD to become margin and operate without the need, as I previously explained, to assume withdrawals uh, at a different node and hence is exposed to a variable spot market price. Uh, also, the government has called for uh, urgent and uh, express procedure, open season process, if you want to call it, for urgent transmission infrastructure. Uh, within that process, uh, it has been already been identified uh, 14 current operational inf uh, transmission infrastructure that will be subject to different expansions. Um, uh, power, if, as previously mentioned, this winter we had normal rainfall, which has significantly filled our dams and consequently, we expect, or the expectation for this summer, is that marginal cost during non-solar hours within the central and southern portion of the Chilean grid should decrease compared to prior years, since we would require lower dispatch or thermal units. So going back to your question, um, we, besides the measures, we need to look at the, at the market at, at the moment. And at least with water, uh, we should uh, see a lower stress to the, to the, uh, participants of the of the market. And uh, Alfonso, I, I also read that French energy company Engie is planning to invest $1.8 billion in Chile and that other European companies in the sector have already invested $5 billion. So uh, given these uh, latest developments in governmental policy and regulation that were just explained, do you expect a slowdown in foreign investment? So this really depends a lot on investor profile. Uh, you have conventional generators with a mix of a diversified portfolio. Uh, they have navigated the crisis much better uh, than other renewable power generators that rely heavily on project finance. Uh, we think the former, the conventional generators, they have a long-term commitment uh, with the country and relationships in Chile, and they will continue investing in our energy sector. But for the latter, 
the companies that are uh, developing renewable projects and that are very reliant in financing, uh, the big question is uh, whether they're going to be able to obtain the same level of financing that they obtained in the past. What we are seeing is that credit committees in New York and other jurisdictions are increasingly sensitive about uh, this issue, and they are much more selective uh, when deciding which projects to uh, develop. They have grown sophisticated in the analysis of market risk, and that on itself may slow down investment as availability in finance uh, is, uh, is lower. Uh, Additionally, if you add up that, as Sebastian mentioned, we have installed capacity over the 35 gigawatts and then demand lower than expected and reaching only 11.5 gigawatts, the focus of the investment, we believe, is going to move to storage and how to move excess generation during daylight hours, solar hours, to non-solar hours. Interesting. And... Do you expect more restructurings or bankruptcy filings in the near future? It's hard to tell. Uh, as Sebastian mentioned before, uh, the rainy winter has provided some relief uh, to companies in terms of uh, price decoupling risk. Uh, if the geopolitical situation improves and fossil fuel prices uh, are reduced, that could also provide added relief. But the reality is that we don't see a, a regulatory solution in the very short term, uh, which means that the situation that sponsors are suffering uh, will probably last and persist for some time. In that context, uh, we think a reasonable expectation is that we will have uh, further restructurings uh, in the future because there is no short-term solution to the project, to the problem. And um, as we wrap up our, our conversation today, could you explain how your experience in bankruptcy and restructuring and distress financing could help companies navigate this complex situation? Are there any strategies you'd like to highlight? I think one of the things that is uh, distinctive of Cuatregasta and that we would uh, really like to highlight is that uh, you, we are a very integrated practice. We have an integrated group uh, where we have specialists from, from Spain, Portugal, uh, Mexico, Colombia, Peru, and Chile. Uh, and uh, more times than not, you realize that your whole strategy in a complex reorganization process has to be integrated and what you do in one country affects you in the other. I think that is an area where we can provide a added value uh, from the context of a complex global restructuring uh, and that really results in a, a distinctive advice to our clients in, in the sector. So I'd say in terms of strategy, uh, you have to have a global approach, you have to plan ahead and you have to be very mindful and weary that what you do in one country affects your structure in the other and for that uh, being able to uh, reach an integrated platform I think is a big advantage. Thank you, Alfonso, and thank you again, both of you, for sharing all of your insights with us today about the renewable energy sector in Chile and the issues that it's facing. Really appreciate your time. For in-court coverage this week, we take a look at Envision, Malincrot, Westcrow Aircraft, and Emirates. 
At a hearing last Friday in the Arethusa Offshore LLC cases, Judge David Jones of the Southern District of Texas Bankruptcy Court announced that he is stepping down from the complex case panel that handles all large cases in the district. Judge Jones is the subject of a lawsuit filed last week alleging conflicts of interest due to his personal relationship with a lawyer. Judge Jones said there's been a fair amount of media coverage in the past week and said that has prompted an investigation by the Fifth Circuit that is ongoing. As part of that investigation, the circuit requested and Judge Jones agreed that he should step down from his complex panel. Judge Marvin Isger will take Judge Jones's place in the panel. Reassignments to both Judge Isger and Judge Christopher Lopez will begin in thousands of cases. Judge Christopher Lopez confirmed that Envision Healthcare, or AVPS, and Amsurge debtors' respective plans of reorganization at a largely uncontested hearing last week. The judge also approved several motions related to transactions of the plans, a share purchase agreement for the separation of AVPS's physical services business from Amsurge's ambulatory surgical center business, a backstop agreement in connection with the debtors' $300 million equity rights offering to fund the intercompany sale, and an Amsurge exit loan facility in an initial commitment amount of $1.9 billion. Council said the debtors are on track to emerge by the end of the month pending regulatory approvals. Judge John Dorsey said he will confirm the Malgrat debtors' prepackaged plan and approve their disclosure statement on a final basis just less than 16 months after the company emerged from its 2020 Chapter 11 and 43 days after filing its second bankruptcy. Judge Dorsey overruled objections from Secline Creditor United Equities and shareholder Alta Advisors. Malgrat's dip facility requires the debtors to emerge by November 26th. In a press release, the debtors said they expect to emerge in the fourth quarter of 2023 following the completion of the Irish examinership proceedings. Judge David Jones heard oral argument on dispositive motions related to the validity of the Incora West Coast debtors March 2022 up-tier exchange position enhancement transaction. The court took the matter under advisement after hearing arguments from the debtors, participating note holders, equity sponsor Platinum and Dental Trustee Wilmington Savings Fund Society, and the challengers. Non-participating 2024, 2026 formerly secured note holders and non-participating 2027 unsecured note holder Langer Mays. Judge Thomas M. Horan approved on a final basis the Amiris debtor's $190 million new money dip financing, overruling an objection from secured credit and licensed counterparty, LeVon Inc. Separately, the debtors filed their first plan and disclosure statement after executing a plan support agreement with the Fortis Prepetition Secured Lenders and Dip Lender, Uagor LLC a forest affiliate. Under the plan, the forest entities would receive an unspecified portion of cash proceeds from the sale of Amiris's consumer brands and may convert their outstanding claims to an exit facility and or 100% of new common stock and reorganize Amiris. Rite Aid, Exact Tech, Odyssey, and Lime Tree Bay terminals ran out this week's crop of near-term restructurings and refinancings. Ahead of a likely Chapter 11 filing, Reorg analyzed the financial impact of shutting stores and transferring scripts to remaining stores on Rite Aid's EBITDA and cash flow. On the basis of Reorg's analysis, the company's gross margins are comparable to and even exceed competitors, but retail pharmacy EBITDA remains depressed because of low revenue performance per store. Although Rite Aid could see a significant performance in EBITDA off of LTM levels by closing underperforming stores, any restructuring will still likely include a significant level of debt equitization, including secured debt given the company's high leverage, weak cash flow, and need to reach an agreement with opioid plaintiffs. To access Reorg's in-depth coverage of Rite Aid, please reach out to a Reorg representative. An ad hoc group of term lenders to Exactech, a TPG capital-based developer and marketer of orthopedic implant devices, is working with Milbeck as counsel and Evercore as financial advisor as litigation over allegedly defective products puts pressure on liquidity. The company may have to restructure its capital structure with near-term maturities, including a $50 million revolver due November 2024 and $270 million of L375 BIPs first lien term loan B due February 2025. As of last Thursday, the term loan B indicated at 42.5, down from 93 a year ago. 
Odyssey is preparing to file Chapter 11 as soon as the end of October as it negotiates dip financing. The company skipped an interest payment of $18 million due on September 30th and payable on October 2nd on the 6.75% second lien notes that mature on March 31st, 2029. A coupon of about $15 million on the 6.5% second lien notes, which matures on May 27th, is due November 1st. LimeTree Bay Terminals is discussing an amend and extend transaction with its existing lenders while exploring a sale and refinancing facilitated by private credit investors as strategic alternatives. Lenders to the more than $400 million of term loans due February 2024 have signed non-disclosure agreements for negotiations with the energy storage and logistics services provider. Top Red Stories this week included... Global Liability Management Quarterly, Transeo's Double Dip Asset Transfer, Frontier's Fiber Securitization, Liker's Drop Down Unwind, Ideal Standards Exchange, and Consent Solicitation. Creditors flagged significant concerns regarding McDermott restructuring, but Chapter 15 provisional relief granted. Acetaminophen Products Liability MDL plaintiffs opposed defendants' motion to exclude general causation expert opinions linking prenatal acetaminophen use to ASD ADHD. And now here's Kate Thomas from New York bringing you the week ahead. Welcome to the week ahead. My name is Kate Thomas. A longer schedule of this week's events can be found on the Reorg website under week ahead. Here are a few highlights. On Monday, the Celsius Network Debtors Confirmation Trial picks up again. The trial started on October 2nd and left off on October 4th with plan objector Pharos indicating that it plans to call an expert witness in support of its objection. Ferris contends that the plan cannot be confirmed because it does not meet the best interest tests and violates the absolute priority rule as a consequence of the settlement with Series B preferred shareholders. The proposed plan contemplates a new co-reorganization sponsored by Fahrenheit with the backup of an alternative wind-down transaction. Jumping to Thursday, the FTX debtors are slated to be in court seeking approval of their settlement with BlockFi. The settlement addresses the reciprocal claims between the two bankruptcy estates, including claims related to the $55 million of Robinhood shares. The settlement was approved in the BlockFi debtors' case last week after their plan was confirmed. Thursday is also the day that the end of sale may finally go forward, according to a notice filed in late September. The debtors are seeking approval of the sale of substantially all their assets to Stocking Horse Bitter Tensor with a $6 billion first lien credit bid. As recently reported by Reorg, however, Endo may be pivoting to a debt equitization transaction through a Chapter 11 plan, especially if it resolves outstanding objections with the Department of Justice and the U.S. Trustee. That's it for now. For more on the week ahead, check out America's Week Ahead on the Reorg website. Have a great week. Thank you again for tuning in to the Reorg Primary Review and our weekly review. Find all our podcasts on the Reorg.com webinars and podcast page as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great week and see you next Monday.